The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. We continue this morning in our summer series uh, that we've entitled Marks of a Healthy Church Member. We have been at the Book of Romans for a number of months, and we now want to take a break over the summertime to deal with a topic that's close to my heart, and it is the marks of a healthy church member. What does it mean to be a part of the church? What are some of the traits, some of the qualities, some of the attributes, some of the characteristics of someone who's a part of a healthy church? So on the one hand, our desire as elders and pastors is to ensure that we have a healthy church, but there's a a component by which you play a part in that as well, that healthy churches are comprised of healthy church members that a healthy, vibrant body of Christ is made up of people who themselves understand the responsibility that they have in contributing to their local church. We're in our week three of this series. We've looked at two of them already. The first one, number one, was a healthy church member has a deep love for the bride of Christ. We saw two weeks ago that a healthy church member truly loves the church. They love the body of Christ. They love the bride of Christ. They love the church. They love this entity, this organism, this body. They, they love all that this represents. And, and it's not a perfect place. It's filled with flaws and, and, and foibles and wrinkles and warts and all those things. And yet, we're made up of Christ's people. And so, a healthy church member loves the bride of Christ. Number two, which we saw last week, is a healthy church member has an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. But a healthy church member truly loves the Scriptures. They love biblical preaching. They love biblical teaching. They they love the Word of God exposited. They love the Word of God explained, illustrated, applied. They have a, a healthy affection for the Scriptures and biblical preaching. They want to be equipped. They want to be trained. They want to be taught. They want to hear God speak from His Word. They want the meat of the Scriptures. They don't want just milk. They don't want shallow, clever funny, hip kind of teaching that wows the masses but doesn't do anything to encourage the heart or promote spiritual growth. We talked about last week that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that there's a desire in the last days for people's ears to be tickled. They want innovative preaching. They want preaching that's filled with all kinds of neat techniques. They want preaching that's clever and cute and coy and cool. That's what marks the end days. We're in those days, and yet in a healthy church, they don't want that. They don't settle for that. There's not a desire to to win the masses and just build a crowd. No, in the heart of a healthy church, there is a deep desire for the biblical preaching, the Word of God, to be reproved and rebuked and exhorted by the truth of Scripture. That's where we've been. This morning, I want to take you to a third mark. A third mark of a healthy church member is that they have a, a strong commitment to the membership of the body. This is similar to what we talked about the first week, but more specifically, that a healthy church member demonstrates a strong commitment to the membership of the body. I wrestled as I put this series together a few weeks and months ago, I I wrestled with the word member. Do Do we call it the marks of a healthy church participant, or do we call this series the, the marks of a healthy church attender? What, what do we call this series? And I landed on the word member because I believe that's the right word. A healthy church member demonstrates a strong commitment to the membership of the body. So for our sakes and our purposes this morning, we might say this, that a healthy church member is a church member. 
How's that work? They're committed. They're involved. They're, they don't just attend a church. They join it. They commit themselves to it. They're engaged in relationships with other believers. They link arms with fellow Christians, and they're brought together into a body of Christ where they understand that this is their family, and this is where they are going to commit themselves and all the relationships and all that goes on there. And the reason for this commitment is because they understand that God intends the local church to be central to their spiritual life. In the heart of a healthy church member, there is the conviction that they know that the church is central to their own spiritual growth. They understand that God has designed it that way, that that church membership is essential to their own spiritual maturity, to their own spiritual growth that, that entails commitment and it entails involvement and it entails relationships. And all that is wrapped up in the heart of a healthy church member because they understand that that's precisely how God has designed the church to be, a place where people live out faith and experience Christian love and engage in mutually encouraging relationships. And God has designed the Christian life to be built upon the foundation of the church. We could say it this way, that healthy church members are not Lone Ranger Christians, They're not Lone Ranger Christians. They're not just kind of out doing their own thing. No, they are committed to the local church because they understand that God has designed the local church to be central to their own spiritual life and growth. So church membership, when understood this way, is not about gaining voting rights. It's not about some commitment to some box that you checked when you were a kid. It's not some loyalty to the expression of your parents' loyalty to a certain church. No, first and foremost, church membership is a reflection of living commitment. It's a reflection of your commitment to the body of Christ expressed in a local church as as they understand that God has designed the local church to be a place where there are relationships that will sanctify you and grow you, to be a place where you come under church leadership, to be a place where you give sacrificially of your time and your talents and your abilities to that body of Christ. And so we understand that church membership, listen, is not primarily about getting, it's about giving. It's not primarily about getting a number of things that they get to accrue to you and all of the things, that, the things that maybe you want to get out of a church. Church membership is not about that. Church membership is primarily about giving and commitment and responsibility, not about what you can get out of it. That's important. We need to understand that because for many Christians today, church membership is a low priority. It's just frankly not that important, and it's frankly not talked about much, and it's frankly not something that's preached about much, and it's not something that really engages people's heart. In fact, most people, when you talk about church membership, they think that this is an outdated, outmoded spiritual relic of a bygone era that we don't really need to engage much in anymore. If you really want to win people to Christ, if you really want to see people engage for the cause of Christ, just do away with all that. That's that's structure. That's formality. That's legalism. Don't talk about being a member of a church. It's legalistic. Some of this is due to ignorance. Frankly, there are some Christians who are just frankly uninformed about the importance of church membership, and they're uninformed about their responsibility to the local church, and they're uninformed about all that takes place in that body of believers that they're to participate in. And so some of this is due simply just to ignorance. Some of it is due to indifference. As there are some who are just indifferent to the church. They can take it or they can leave it. They can say, this is, yeah, it's something that's good. I I, kind of go every once in a while. It's something I do periodically, but frankly, it's not that important. 
I could take it or leave it. I could have it or not have it. It's, it doesn't really matter to me. And that attitude of indifference has contributed then to those who really have a low view of church membership. Some of it's due to independence. Not just ignorance and not just indifference, but some of it's actually due to independence where people actually don't want it. Where they're not just saying, well, I could take it or leave it. They're actually saying, no, I don't want people in my business. I don't want people in my kitchen. I don't want people that close to me. I don't want to go. If I'm going to go anywhere, I just want to kind of slide in and slide out. And so these are the people that come in at just before the sermon starts, and they're the people that leave right after the sermon is over. They don't want to get close. They don't want relationships. They don't want anyone kind of in their kitchen talking to them about things that are personal. They just want to fly in under the radar. And so that's, that's, that's some of the reasons that we need to be concerned about that. And this is our, some of the reasons why people just are not that committed. They're Christers, Christmas and Easter people, right? They're C&E Christians. Twice a year, maybe, if you get them, you'll be... Happy to get them at those times. I think that's why we see a, tr- a lot of the trends that we see today where people are church hopping, where in a city, especially in large of Grand Rapids, you could church hop for 10 years and not hit every church here in the city of churches. That's why people hop from church to church. They remain uh, just kind of on the distance, on the fringe, away from the really committing themselves to it. They kind of view it as a spectator sport where they go and they watch for a while and then they move on to the next place. That's why we see church hoppers. And that's why we see people who view the church more of a smorgasbord where you kind of go to one church for your youth ministry and you go to the other church for the preaching and you go to another church for the music. And so you just kind of rotate and you look around at all the options and you you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that church. It's the buffet approach to church. That's why you have members of churches who are not really involved, not really committed, not really attending, not really participating, not really joining with the life of the body. And I've told you before that we as elders, this is the greatest, one of the greatest issues that we struggle with. How do we lovingly pursue those who have said, I want to be a member of Maranatha Bible Church, but they're not here? How far do we go? How far do we call? How far do we pursue? How much do we, how much do we engage them? How much do we beg and plead for them to continue to be a part of the church if, if their heart's not really here and they're not really committed? It's a challenge for us as elders to know exactly how to engage those people because we love them and we're concerned for them. And so it presents a challenge to us. And I think all of this just stems from the, da- the same basic problem of failure to understand or take seriously God's intent for the local church and the life of the believer. So it's crucial for us to understand the difference between church membership and a Costco membership because they're not the same. And you need to understand that. And I think some of the problem comes when we associate membership with Sam's Club. They're far, far different. So what happens is when you go get your Costco membership, you think that because of that, because you paid your annual fee, you now get a set of rights that you've purchased and you get to participate in all the rights of being a Costco member. And so you get all those wonderful free samples and you go get a $1.50 meal that serves your whole family. You can feed your whole family for $6. You know, it's just wonderful. And you can go buy 5,000 of one thing when you only need six. I mean... These are just some of the incredible rights that you have of being a Costco member. That doesn't work in the church. A Costco membership is not the same as church membership. So a church membership is not a set of rights that you purchase. It's a set of responsibilities that you commit yourself to. 
It's a set of relationships and responsibilities that you engage in, that you commit yourself to in the body of Christ, not some set of rights that you purchase. And I think what's essential to understanding the crux of this issue is that God has saved us to be a part of a family. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is more of just a kind of a topical study this morning, and I wanted to show you some things as we go through this. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that not only is salvation something that results in a vertical relationship with God, by necessity, it also results in horizontal relationships with fellow believers. Now, you know Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10, that great treatise on salvation that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, caused us to be born again. He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him, for by grace you've been saved. Verse 10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's this marvelous description about what God has done to redeem us and draw us into a vertical relationship with himself. And that is marvelous. But listen, the text doesn't stop there. The text goes on to say that there is also by necessity a horizontal relationship that results from a vertical relationship. And you see it starting in verse 12. Remember that you are at the same time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly uh, formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Jews and Gentiles are brought together into one body, into a family of believers Why? Verse 16, because Christ has reconciled us both in one body to God through the cross. And the result? Verse 19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Now watch this, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord holy temple. In fact, verse 19 says, we're of God's household. We're part of the family of believers. And so what we need to understand as Christians is that not only are we brought into the universal church, the body of Christ, through a vertical relationship with God, we've also been given a horizontal relationship with fellow believers that results in us being a part of the household of God. And the place Let me make this very clear. The place that you manifest your participation in the universal church is a local church. That's just how God's designed it. The work of Christ in redeeming us and placing us in the body of Christ has to be given expression in a local church. Listen, there's so many times when I talk to people and they say, you know, I, I love the church. I I'm I'm a part of the universal church, but I just have really no need for the local church. I'm already part of the church. I'm already part of the the local church. I'm already part of the universal church. I've already been redeemed. I've already been saved. I've already been brought into a relationship with Christ. But frankly, I don't need the local church. You're missing the heart of Christ. Because church membership does not begin necessarily with your entrance into the universal church. It does in a saving sense, 
but God has designed you to participate in a specific group of people where the actual relationships and functions of that church and all that goes along with it can be expressed and fulfilled in your life. So someone who says, you know, I just don't need the local church in my life misses the heart of Christ because it's in the local church where God has designed all of His design for the church to take place. And that's why church membership is so important. Your involvement in the universal church finds its expression in the local church. So we need to understand that God has adopted us into a family. He's brought us into to relationships with one another. And so when you're adopted into a family, you're not only getting a new mom and dad, you're also getting now fellow relationships with brothers and sisters. That's what makes adoption so wonderful. When it takes place in a physical realm, the adopted child gets a new mom and dad, a new relationship there, a new vertical relationship. However, that child also gets built-in brothers and sisters. It's a great thing. And that's what happens in the church as well, that when someone's saved and brought into a relationship with Christ, there's a restoration of the the vertical relationship, but with that also comes relationship with fellow brothers and sisters. And so that's why God wants us to be a part of the church, belonging to a local church, belonging and participating in, joining, engaging in all of the the relationships and all that takes place in the life of that church. And so a Christian without a church family is a contradiction. A Christian without a strong commitment to the local church is truly a contradiction. And so we need to understand that church membership best achieves what God has designed for the individual believer. It's church membership, and it's a commitment to an identification with Christ in a local church that best accomplishes what God has designed for His children. So with that as an introduction, I want to give you this morning two points. Number one is the biblical basis for church membership And then number two are the practical reasons for church membership. And I want to convince you this morning that it's not enough to simply say, I attend a certain church, but it's necessary for us as believers to get to a point where we believe and understand that healthy church members are exactly that, they're church members. By that, I don't just mean you've gone to a formal class and gotten a piece of paper and been recognized on a Sunday morning. By that, we mean someone who has fully embraced the life of the local church and embraced all that goes on there and committed themselves to that. So, point number one is the biblical basis for church membership. And oftentimes, at this point in the discussion, someone will say to me, well, Todd, there's, no, there's nothing in Scripture that says, go become a church member. There's no book of the Bible entitled, the book of church membership. There's no chapter that you can go to labeled how to become a church member. It's not there. I understand that. But I believe as we begin to dive into this, you're going to see that church membership is abundant in the Scriptures. You may not be able to point to book, chapter, and verse, but I believe you're able to see throughout the whole New Testament that there is a premium placed on church membership. And I want to give you some reasons why, five of them. They're not in the slides, but let me just list them for you, and you can just track with me. We'll go through this very quickly. First, one of the evidences for a formal church membership in the New Testament is an apparent list of members. 
an apparent list of members in the New Testament. You say, where? Where is there a list of members? Let me show you some places where there is a general accounting of believers in the early church. I believe as we go through, especially the book of Acts, you can begin to see that there is a formal accounting that takes place in the life of the early church that would point us towards the fact that there was an apparent list of members or at least some form of formal recognition of who the membership of a local body was. Acts 2 verse 41 Those who had received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's not just an amorphous number. That's not just kind of an ethereal, abstract, and there were people that came to Christ and the church was born. No, no, no. There were 3,000 souls specifically. That points to a formal record of church membership. Acts 2 verse 47 says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Acts 4, verse 4, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. There's a formal accounting. They're knowing and they're understanding in the early church that God is adding to their number and God has specifically designed specific people to be a part of that church, the church in Jerusalem. Acts 5, verse 14, and there were constantly multitudes of men and women added to their number. Acts 6, 7, the word of God kept spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase. Acts 11, verse 21, the large number who believed. You see, there's a pattern here. Large number. God was adding to their number. God was increasing their number. There was a formal record that seems to be taking place in the life of the early church. Acts 16, verse 5, the churches were being strengthened and they were increasing in number daily. So I think you see as we go through the book of Acts that there is this kind of identification, this numbering, this formal accounting of believers who comprise the early church. And so we can begin to gather that God never intended Christians to live out a private commitment to Christ. I have my quiet times at home. I go in the woods and I pray. I go to Starbucks. I do my quiet times. That's okay. That's not how God designed it, though. He didn't just design the church to, to be, or the Christian life, to be a private commitment where it's just you and the Lord. No, God has designed the church to be a part of fellow believers' lives where you commit yourself to one another and all that goes on in the life of the church. That's what we see in the book of Acts. There's a second reason. Or a second evidence why we believe that there was a membership in the New Testament church, that is the terminology it's used to refer to the early church. So there's a formal accounting, first of all, an apparent list of believers, but secondly, there's also the terminology that refers to the early church, like the whole church in Acts 6-5, or the church in Jerusalem, Acts 8 verse 1, or The disciples in Jerusalem, Acts 9, verse 26. You see, the church, the disciples, the disciples, Acts 14, verse 23, in every church, Acts 15, verse 17, the whole church. So when Peter and Paul are are dealing with the early church, they're not talking about just kind of an amorphous group of people. There's a specific people in mind, the people of that church or the disciples in that city. There's this recognizable, identifiable group of church people who, who comprise that body, a membership, a committed group of people. 
a definite group of people. So we see that there's an, there's a, an apparent list. There is, secondly, the terminology that refers to the early church. Thirdly, the responsibilities of elders assumes a membership. The responsibilities of elders assumes a membership. And by that, I mean that if an elder is going to elder, the elders need to know who they're supposed to elder. You can't be an elder and oversee the flock if you don't know who you're supposed to oversee. Go to 1 Peter 5. Let me show you what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes in verse 1, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not lording it over as those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter says to the elders of the church that he's writing to, he says, I want you to shepherd the flock of God among you. Specific group of people, an identifiable group of people that they were responsible for. And he says you need to exercise oversight and you need to serve them and you need to do it with eagerness and you need to not lord it over them. But verse 2 says, these who are allotted to your charge. That speaks of an identifiable group of people. A group of people who have been set apart by the Lord in a local church that those elders were specifically charged with and given responsibility over. And so it implies specific people. Peter doesn't say just go shepherd some people. He says shepherd the flock which God has allotted to your charge. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll show you one other verse associated with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul writes, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you need to appreciate those who diligently labor among you. You need to express your gratitude to them. You need to honor them. You need to make their job easy. Why? Verse 12, because they have charge over you. How can elders have charge over people that they don't know who they have charge over? So the very function of elders themselves, the very responsibility of eldering itself necessitates a church membership. It requires a specific, identifiable, recognizable group of people that they're given responsibility for and entrusted with the responsibility of oversight who they will one day have to give an account for. Hebrews 13, 17 says that. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. How can God hold elders accountable for the shepherding ministry of the church if the elders don't understand and know who they're responsible for? To give an account can only be done fairly and properly if those elders understand and know who they are given charge over. So 
So they can only give oversight if they know who, who they're responsible for. That's why church membership is so important. They can only be the shepherds that God has called them to be if they, only if they know the people to whom God has entrusted to them. And that's why church membership is so crucial. It's a, such an elemental part of the life of the church that if they don't know who that is, then it's making their job very, very difficult. So there's this list in the early church. There's this terminology that seems to refer to uh, an identifiable membership. There's also the responsibility of elders. Let me give you another one. There's the practice of church discipline. The practice of church discipline assumes a membership. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, he says that if there's someone among you, a brother who goes and sins, you go and reprove him in private. And if you, he repents, then you've won your brother. But if he doesn't repent, then you go and take one or two more with you as witnesses and you appeal to them to repent. And if they don't, then you go and tell it to the church. And if they repent, then you've won your brother. But if they don't repent at that point, then you go and remove that person from the church. And so that implies a specific group of people. You can't do church discipline if you don't know who the people who comprise your church are. And so essential to the practice of church discipline is an inherent and identifiable group of people over which the elders oversee and the church together corporately then exercises church discipline. It doesn't happen when there's just someone who kind of comes and goes every once in a while. No, formal exclusion from the church implies a formal inclusion in the church that once existed. You cannot formally remove someone from the church if you didn't first formally include them in the church. So church membership is really the key that makes the practice of church discipline a viable practice in the life of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, it's reported that there's an immorality among you of such a kind that does not exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. There's a man in the church in Corinth who is engaged in an immoral relationship with his stepmother. And Paul says to them, you become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. In verse 13, he says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Well, how do they do that if that man was not first formally included in themselves? So the whole practice of church discipline, which is clearly commanded in Scripture, not in just those two passages, but others as well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, if, that, if there's not a practice of church membership in the body of Christ, that whole practice of church discipline, which God has clearly put in place in the life of the church, falls apart. So it presumes a church membership. Last, let me give you one more reason. The list of widows in First Thessalonians or First Timothy chapter five, rather the list of widows in First Timothy chapter five, verse nine says a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been the wife of one man. The early church maintained a list. They maintained a list of the the widows who who should be cared for by the church. They didn't have family. They didn't have uh, people in their life that could care for them for whatever reason. The widow was uncared for, and so the church was to maintain a list. And there were certain qualifications, and there were certain uh, characteristics of that woman being put on that list. 
but that list doesn't make any sense if there's no formal church membership. If she's not a part of the church in the first place, if she's not an identifiable, recognizable part of that body of believers, then that practice of caring for widows, which the church should do, really doesn't function properly. So those are some reasons that we believe that there is a biblical basis for church membership. So someone can't say, well, there's no place in the Scriptures where it's not talked about. Yeah, I agree that it's not in book, chapter, and verse, but if you begin to put all this evidence together, you begin to see that there was some form of membership in the early church that was necessary for the church to operate and to fulfill its function as the church. Let me give you point number two. Number two is the practical reasons for church membership hopefully substantiated for you that this is a crucial practice. It is something that each church, every healthy church should engage in. Let me give you some reasons for it, some benefits, some practical reasons why this should be the practice of every healthy church and why every healthy church member will want to not just go through a process of church membership, but to fully embrace themselves into the life of that church. We're called to be a part of a family. We're not called to just exist privately as Christians. God has called us to a life of others' relationship. The question is, what others? What other people does God want us to engage in? Is it our neighbors in that sense, or is it the people we work with or go to school with? What are the people, who are the people that God has intended us to be involved with as Christians? And I would say that all those people we should be involved with at some level. However, the people who we should be involved with most and primarily and closest with are the Christians in a local church. That God has designed all of this to take place in the assembly of a body of believers that meet in a certain place, that together function as God intends for the universal church to function in a specific local location. So, some reasons then why it's essential for us to be church members. Number one, and we do have these on slides, number one is it gives evidence of genuine salvation. It gives evidence of genuine salvation. Now, let me clarify this. Very, very important. Listen, joining a church will never save you, period. We went through this in Romans, didn't we? We, we beat that to death in Romans chapter 4. Just because you're baptized, just because you're a member of a church, just because you grew up in a certain church doesn't make you saved. And so we have to be very clear about this, that joining a church will not save you any more than your good works or your education or your culture or anything else you've done to try and earn favor with God. However, church membership is one of the evidences that points to genuine salvation. And that's the crucial point that we want to emphasize here, that, that church membership is one of the evidences that points to a genuine salvation. And the reason for that is because church membership is meant to be a testimony of the fact that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's crucial that our membership in the universal church is demonstrated by a commitment to the local church where we engage in all the relationship that God has intended us and all the practices for a church to participate in. It's in the local church where our universal church membership is made manifest and your entrance into the universal church is marked by true salvation in Jesus Christ. So I can back it up. 
if someone's not that committed, if someone's not that involved, if someone says, I don't need the church, I don't want to really participate in the local church, then you have to question, in a sense, the genuineness of their salvation. Now, again, be very cautious here. I'm not saying that people who don't go to church are not Christians. I'm not saying Christians who never darken the door of a church are not saved. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that because of how God has set up the church, that the local church involvement on the part of a believer may be one of the evidences that points to the reality of or the lack of conversion on their part. We are members of the universal church as believers. Romans 12 verse 5 says, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for the body is not one member, but, but many. So we're members of the universal church. However, a true Christian will manifest the reality of their salvation and their involvement in the universal church by a commitment to the local church. And I believe that's the essential element that we need to understand here, that a true Christian is to obey Christ. A true Christian always wants to obey Christ. They always want to please Christ. They always want to please the one who has saved them. And so part of that obedience involves the commands of Christ regarding the church. So when you join a church, when you become a church member, when you put yourself in a position where you want the involvement of fellow believers in your life, you're saying, I not only need to manifest the reality of my salvation, I I need these people in my life. I understand that. I want this. We grasp hands with one another. We're, we're involved with each other. And so it's intended to be, in a sense, a testimony of our membership in the universal church. And so if you have someone who says, well, I don't need that. I don't want that. I can be a good Christian without the church. You might be able to be saved. But if you perpetually reject and resist your involvement in the local church, at some point you may have to question the reality of your salvation. You say, Todd, that's really strong. That's what John says, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they're not of us. So it's very crucial here that we understand that a lack of commitment to the church and a departure from the church may actually betray the fact that that person was never really truly part of the universal church in the first place. If someone's missing in action and has not joined another solid Bible-believing church, what confidence do they have, what confidence do we have that they know Christ. As elders, this is our greatest concern. So if you're not here for a while and we call you, it's because we love you. If you're not here for a while and we, we kind of track you down and you seem, it seems like we're hounding you, it's out of love. Because we've seen so many people drift And they drift and they drift and they drift and they drift away to the point where they're not committed to the church anymore and that ultimately betrays the fact that they never knew Christ in the first place. So don't be threatened if you get a call from the elders. 
Don't be threatened if someone calls you up and says, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. We've missed you. That's the way it works in the local church because it is one of the ways that you may give evidence to the genuineness of your salvation. There's a second reason why biblical church membership is important. Letter B, it edifies the church. It edifies the church. The church membership is an opportunity and a way to serve one another. It's an opportunity and a way to grow together. It's an opportunity and a way by which you serve others and others serve you so that you become more like Christ. And so biblical church membership is essential to your own spiritual growth and maturity. I'll be honest with you. I am more like Christ because of the church. I have found in my life that there, are, there have been three uh, primary sanctifying influences in my life. There's many more, but three primary ones. Number one, marriage. God has used my wife to make me more like Christ. Number two, parenting. I am more like Christ because of being a parent. And that's hard to admit because I had areas I needed to grow in, and I still do. But parenting is a way that brings those out. And yet, there's a third way. It's the church. The church is one of the means by which God has designed for our growth, for our sanctification. I can point back in the last 25 years, I can tell you specific people who mentored me and ministered to me and made me more like Christ in every church we've been a part of. I can look out right now after 12 years. I'm looking some of you in the face, and I can tell that some of you have been used of the Lord to make me more like Christ. I need you. You need the people sitting around you. You will never be what God has called you to be and how he has designed you to mature as a Lone Ranger Christian. You never will. Because this is the greenhouse. This is the sanctifying ministry that God has put in place by which you become more like Christ. And there's something, as I said a couple weeks ago, there's like miracle grow here. Not in the building, but in the people. Because that has a way of making us and sharpening us and making us more like Christ. So what do you mean by this? Look at all the one another passages in the Scriptures. There's 40 passages that talk about the one another, love one another, be at peace with one another, outdo one another in showing honor, live in harmony with one another, let us not pass judgment on one another, welcome one another, instruct one another, greet one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, agree with one another, do not lie to one another, do not provoke one another, be kind to one another, sing to one another, bear with one another, serve one another, care for one another. The list goes on and on and on. How do you do that outside the church? The church is to be where the one another's take place. That's why the church is called a body. You need every part of the body to make you more like Christ. And so if you want to grow, you need the church. Let me read what Mark Dever says in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He says, quote, joining a church increases our sense of ownership to the work of the church, of its community and its budget and its goals. We move from being pampered consumers to becoming joyous proprietors. We stop arriving late 
and complaining that we don't get exactly what we want. Instead, we arrive early and try to help others with what they need. We must begin to view membership less as a loose affiliation, useful only on occasion, and more as a regular responsibility involving us in one another's lives for the purposes of the gospel. End quote. He's right. We don't participate in the church because of what we need, because of what we want. We participate in the church because we want to help others, we want others involved in our lives, and we want to be involved in their lives to make each other like Christ for the purposes of the gospel. Lastly, third, it provides the avenue for demonstrating love. Third reason why church membership is so crucial is because it provides the avenue for demonstrating love. Listen, the virtue that should mark every single believer is love. The virtue that should mark all of us, the virtue that should define all of us, the, 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 the quality that should, at the fundamental base of who we are as Christians, define us is love. Jesus says, you will know them by their love. 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love is the mark of a disciple of Christ. And so where can you show the love of Christ more effectively than in the church, than in this body? Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that's why we meet together. You heard this verse. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is why we meet. This is why we're a body, to be a, a cattle prod towards one another, to love, to good deeds, to Christ-likeness. And so this is where love is demonstrated. This is where love is made manifest. This ought to be the most loving entity in the world. It's where you grow in love, it's where you receive love, and it's where you sense and feel and witness the love of Christ. You need the church. Recently, I offended somebody here, and I had to go make that right with that person, and that person graciously forgave me and showed the love of Christ. I need that. I need that, and you need that. And it's only in love, in the context of relationships, in the church, where we become the people that God has designed us to be. So, are you a member? I don't just mean have you gone to the class. I mean, are you a member? Are you committed? Are you involved? Are you invested? Because all of that is how God has designed us to function, not just in the universal church, but in His expression of the local church. Pray with me. Lord, we, we thank You. We thank You, Father, for the bride of Christ. It is so evident, Lord, from the Scriptures that, that we truly need the church, that you've not designed us to operate outside of your bride. And so, Lord, we, we, we need this church. We need 
the relationships here. We need these people here. We, we need each other to sharpen us, to, to, to encourage us, to exhort us, to rebuke us. We need all of that to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for this body. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. We pray that we will continue to function as a healthy church, comprised of healthy church members who love and serve one another for the glory of Christ. So continue to sanctify us and grow us and make us into this body of believers. It's in your Son's precious name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.